It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Bengals fans. Whatever time of day you're listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast, we're glad to have you here. Today, we will be doing our wide receiver positional review, getting back into positional reviews after really over a week of nonstop news and or combine stuff that we've been talking about here on the podcast. Before we get into the positional review, we will, as always, take a moment to review what's going on in news stories so far today. So at the time of recording, news came out a couple hours ago that Vontez Perfect is going to be visiting the Raiders for his first free agency visit. This, I think, is the most logical landing spot for Perfect. We talked about it yesterday. We know that there were previously last offseason trade talks between Oakland and uh, the Bengals for Vontez Perfect. So a reunion between Perfect and Defensive coordinator Paul Gunther in Oakland could make sense for me as a fan of being entertained. Please, 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 NFL, get Vontez Perfect on a team with Antonio Brown. And also, please, 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 Hard Knocks. Oh, yeah, Hard Knocks with the Oakland Raiders. I'd watch that. But uh, I bet. I bet Perfect is going to the Raiders. And they did reach out and try and 
work out a trade with the Bengals before the, his release. I don't know what happened with that, but ultimately it'll probably save the Raiders some money now because I can't imagine he's going to sign for much. I can't imagine there's many teams interested. But uh, having said that, that is the most interesting part, right? Antonio Brown and Vontaze Perfect together on the same roster, and how will they at least put on a show for everyone? They'll be best pals. The thing is, Bengals fans, Vontaze Perfect might go out and have a resurgent year, and you need to not get caught up on that. He might be inspired by this. He might be ignited by going to a new team. If he reunites with Paul Gunther, Gunther got some of the best years out of Vontaze Perfect in Cincinnati. If that yep. happens, it's it's fine. It wasn't going to happen in Cincinnati. And that's fine. That's what, that's what they people are going to focus focus on it like he only had one bad year. Well, that's not true. Really, he's been unreliable and undisciplined for a long time. Last year was just a culmination of it. And because the Bengals are trying to reset the table and reset the culture with the roster, perfect had to go. And it's I hope he does play well for the Raiders. I hope he goes back and reverts to what he was and and brings that nastiness and that attitude to that team that could probably use it in Oakland. But uh, the Bengals did not need that anymore. Yeah. So not to harp on Vontez Perfect, he is visiting in Oakland. We wish him the best. Like I said, I always wish the best for players. Most of the time, maybe not Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, I'm not wishing ill on the guy, but maybe not the best, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Um, next up, Jordan Renan, ESPN Giants reporter, says that the Giants are also in on free agent Vinny Curry. He, of course, was reported to be visiting with the Bengals on Monday, but we haven't heard anything on Vinny Curry or Danny Shelton's visits that supposedly were happening yesterday. That hasn't been super uncommon. Uh, Joe, have you heard something? Is that why you're raising your hand to me? Yeah, that the Giants signed Marcus Golden today. Uh, similar players' position, so I wonder if that takes them out of the Curry race. It could. Certainly could. Uh, that said, I haven't seen any other suitors for either Vinny Curry or Danny Shelton at this point in terms of visits lined up or interest or anything like that. Yep, and hopefully one of those can still happen. If not both, it would help eliminate some of the needs or pressure to take a similar player, I think, or a similar position in the draft. I'd rather just let the draft fall to them. So I'm still on board with signing those guys and in an effort to clear up their vision when draft comes around. And maybe it would get Jeff Hobson off of drafting a nose tackle in the first round? I would hope so. Other news in Paul Brown Stadium land. Uh, a couple of draft tidbits here. Following up on the Keyshawn Johnson reported top 30 visit, the Fresno wide receiver, the Bengals were play, paying close attention to him yesterday at the Fresno Pro Day, according to Eric Barboza of Hanford's Front Row Sports. Um, also yesterday, Audrey Snyder, Penn State beat reporter for The Athletic, reports that the Bengals were in attendance at Penn State's Pro Day. Connor McGovern, Ryan Bates are offensive guards out at Penn State. Miles Sanders are running back. And today, Zach Taylor, along with eight NFL general managers and head coach Bill Belichick, are at the Alabama Pro Day. The most recent one that I saw reported for Zach Taylor was Clemson a couple of days ago. So Zach Taylor is making the rounds, especially at some of these top-tier schools. He saw Kyler Murray, he saw Clemson, and now he's down at Alabama as well. Great. Sounds good. Uh, that's the normal rounds. I normally keep track of this, but then there were some... 
I like Cincy Jungle does a great job keeping they track do. of where the Bengals go. So I stopped doing that a couple years ago. But when I do normally put a board up, and like I, I think the other day I talked about uh, how the top 30 visits are very important. But also, you can typically get some information some from the lower schools on if the Bengals attended or not. And normally they do attend. But sending the coach or the position coach is a uh, big factor. Yeah, I'm not sure who exactly was at Fresno. I just know that it they, the reports were that they were paying close attention to Keyshawn Johnson, which isn't a surprise because they have that top 30 visit lineup. Right. And I don't know who was there at the Penn State Pro Day either. I think it might have just been a scout, actually, at the Penn State Pro Day. doesn't really matter. So that is what I have seen around the internet for Bengals news. Joe, am I missing anything that you've seen? Bengals fans are weird. Yeah? <laughs> Sports no, fans are weird, anything. but why are Bengals fans weird? Actually, I didn't have anything there. I was just fucking around. Okay. Bengals <laughs> fans, you're weird, according to my co-host, Joe Goodberry. We're going to take an early break today, and then we're going to dive into wide receivers. It's a relatively quiet day in Cincinnati and Bengaldon. So we're going to take an opportunity to look at the future outlook for one of the relative positions of strength on the Bengals, after this quick break. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We are going over positional reviews. We've done the entire defense. On offense, we've done offensive line. Did we do tight ends? I think we did do we tight did. ends. Yeah. yeah, with the pending free agents coming up, we wanted to make sure we got that because now, well, they got two of them back. Anyways, we're at receiver. So my favorite position on offense, the one I want the Bengals to always draft, and in fact, we did draft a receiver with a premium pick in our Mock Draft Monday yesterday's podcast, so check that out if you have not already. But this is also probably the strength of the Bengals roster on offense, I would say. I think most people would agree. I think running back may be uh, comparable in, in some ways. But number one, at the top of this list, first guy to talk about always, the always good, the really the weapon on this offense is A.J. Green. And even though he'll be 31 this year and in the final year of his deal, he's still the guy that makes this offense tick. Yeah, and we've talked about him being in the final year of his deal and whether it makes sense to re-sign him, whether it makes sense to trade him. The current reports are that the Bengals are working on extensions for Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green. That could mean that it's a similar situation to what they did with Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones where they're getting some similar offers on the table for both guys and they're going to keep one. It could mean that they're trying to keep both actively. There was one report, I think it was a New York Giants reporter whose name I don't recall, who said if the Bengals don't get the deal done, they might shop A.J. Green. And I was going to say that's not just receiver that they've done this. They did this with Kevin Zeitler and Cliff Bowling the year before Zeitler hit free agency. They also did it with Jonathan Joseph and Leon Hall the year before Hall hit free agency. So it's not... 
with Dunlap and Johnson as well? Yes, they did do it with Michael Johnson and Dunlap. So this isn't uncommon for the Bengals. In fact, we should probably lean on that idea that they have a contract offer out there for one of them. And, I, you know, just the gap in age of Boyd being 24 years old, Green being 31 this year, you would think they would approach it differently. But mm-hmm. precedent is there for them to otherwise do differently. And A.J. Green is, I mean, unlike those previous scenarios, A.J. Green is a transcendental player at his position. Like, there's reason that you might see, like, let's keep A.J. Green for three years into his 30s because he can still be productive. Although, at wide receiver, there is a pretty precipitous cliff that they can hit at some points without much warning. Pretty much every NFL receiver hits that wall at some point in time. I, I think maybe Terrell Owens is one example that didn't really hit a wall that hard. Right, and he was a physical freak, he and was I wouldn't say, insane. yeah, I wouldn't say say Green's in that category in terms of you know just the size, strength aspect and ratio. Uh, but you know, when I think of older receivers and them still being productive late into their careers, it's very common for those guys to move into the slot and find more space to operate there as they maybe lose that top end speed. And at this point, their technical route running is going to be at its peak. Uh, and I think the Bengals did that a little more with Green last year. Yeah, he was excellent in the slot. According to Pro Football Focus, for receivers that had at least 70 snaps out of the slot, A.J. Green blew away the competition in a per-route-run productivity perspective at 4.3 yards per route run. To put that into perspective, since that's a little bit of a vague number, Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill, who you obviously know are highly productive and often slot-utilized receivers for their respective teams, 3.63 yards per route run for Michael Thomas, 3.28 yards per route run from the slot for Tyreek Hill. That's a a full yard behind for Tyreek Hill out of the slot. The other thing that you can point out when you're looking at this sort of metric is A.J. Green, when he was in the slot, was getting the ball or they were looking to get him the ball most of the time. He was targeted on 32% of his slot snaps, which is only behind Michael Thomas's 32.7% of slot targets. And I feel like all of his deep uh, targets were out of the slot. And I feel like all of his third down, when they needed to manufacture something, they put green in the slot. I really Mm -hmm. can only think of a couple outside deep nine routes, deep bombs for A.J. Green this year. And that kind of scares me a little bit because he was always dominant in that area. And they didn't do it last year with him. And it makes me wonder if he has lost a step. And I don't want to even start to dream of that scenario but the way they used him last year didn't lean me to believe that maybe they they thought he is losing something is it possible that they looked at andy dalton's strengths and weaknesses and said you know what andy's throwing these out of bounds too often and we're just gonna reduce that possibility this year by getting you more targets out of the slot very possible in an ideal world they would have been able to do both but obviously the deep ball hasn't been there uh, when they've needed it, especially last year. We saw with John Ross's frustrations and how many uncatchable targets he had. Uh, the same was true for A.J. Green for the last few years. Well, it was it 2015 Andy Dalton was one of the best deep ball, per, deep ball throwers in the NFL, and since then it's just been... Well, in terms of quarterback rating, he's always been up there, and that's because he's very safe with the ball. He never leads it too far where the safety can get to it or where the corner can make a play on it. It's either his guy's going to get it or it's going to go out of bounds or out of the reach of everyone. So it depends on what metric you look at in terms of uh, his overall effectiveness on the deep ball, but just the eye test can tell you all you need to know, I think. Especially in the last few years, and we'll come back to Andy Dalton's deep ball performance uh, in the quarterback episode 
which might be tomorrow. Uh, talking about the rest of the roster, just to get this overview of the wide receiver position done before we dive into some of the rest of the players on the team. The Bengals in 2019 are spending $26.6 million on the position, which ranks 10th in the NFL. There are some contracts for wide receivers that will still be signed by other NFL teams, which could move this around a little bit, but that's pretty much in line with where they were last year as well. If they were to extend Green and Boyd, keep both of them, let's say A.J. Green stays around a $15 million cap hit. Let's say Tyler Boyd gets to $10 million on the cap, which would be the highest paid, I think, slot contract slot dominant contract for a wide receiver in the NFL in this free agency period. Yeah. Most of those guys were between seven and nine this year, right? The the slot receivers in free agency. And I also think what's green 15 this year, Mm -hmm. there is a chance he may be a little bit less than that unless they want to front load it. Right. If we're saying it's the last three years of your, your, you know, NFL career, I would think it'd be more in the 12 to 14 range. It could be, but for the, for the purposes of being conservative, to project this out, it would be another $9 million roughly if A.J. Green doesn't take a pay cut against the cap, not including John Ross's potential fifth-year option, which would be coming next offseason. Next, yeah. So in 2020, if they extend Boyd for roughly $9 million raise, that puts them at $35 million against the cap in in 2020 and that would be second in the nfl which right now is only behind cleveland browns who are playing who are paying odell beckham jarvis landry this year so would it be warranted how do you feel about this group as a whole compared to the rest of the league are you okay with them paying this unit as a top five unit maybe even top one or two and they better get that production out of them right yeah, I, when you look around the league at guys who, the top duos around the league, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, the Los Angeles Chargers, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, Minnesota, DeAndre Hopkins and Will, Will Fuller, if they're healthy, which is also a caveat you could say for the Bengals in Houston, Tampa's Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, which is mostly the strength of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin taking a jump, uh, Julio Jones and Riley Ridley, if he cleans up the Calvin drops Ridley. in two. Sorry. Doesn't. Calvin Ridley. That's my mistake. Draft on the brain. Uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones in Detroit. Again, mostly on the strength of Kenny Galladay there. Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin, who we don't really think about that often in Cincinnati, but are an excellent wide receiver duo in Seattle. And then any, any two of Brandon Cooks, Robert was Cooper Cup in Los Angeles, who as a trio, I think, have been extremely productive and uh, you could take any two of those guys and, and compare them to the Bengals. A lot of those guys are young. There's some rookie deals in there. Adam Thielen, I think is in due for a huge raise, right? Oh yeah, I would say so. Uh, it, did he sign sign one last year already? I, I was or? trying to think if, cause I feel like, I feel like the Vikings are going to have to pay the receivers more in the future, but I can't remember right now. And that's, it's kind of funny because there were r- rumors yesterday that, uh, that Stefan Diggs could be traded to the Redskins, but apparently that was unfounded. Mm-hmm. I was going to say about, we're talking about the top two duos, but obviously the investment and the amount they're paying John Ross, that that also factors in mm-hmm. our comfort level with this receiving core. And if Ross can take another step in his development, even just one little step would make him a strong number three receiver behind two really good guys, which I think everyone could feel comfortable with, even though that wouldn't be living up to the number nine overall pick. But I will say, they were the only receiving trio in the NFL to all three have at least six touchdown catches, and two of them had seven. So uh, that is 
at least something to hang your head on in terms of production. Yeah, and John Ross, we said before, was extremely productive in the red zone. He was, and he was in college too. So that is something that you would hope to carry over. Now, touchdowns normally uh, aren't predictive for a year-to-year basis, but for red zone production, that usually is. So it's kind of a tough thing because it's usually the explosive touchdowns that aren't predictive. So we'll see if Ross can add those because I think that's really what we're waiting for. And we saw it in the preseason, that, that preseason touchdown against the Colts. That was outstanding. Against the Bills, right? Is that I, thought the one it was, where... I thought it was week four. Maybe it was the Bills. No, yeah, because that's... Because yeah, Vontae Davis retired. Yeah, it was Vontae Davis. <laughs> he said, I'm out of here. This is a, these, <laughs> yeah. these young kids are too fast for me. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. But going on now, we got Tyler Boyd and Ross, both 24 years old. So they're actually about a, a, a week and a half, almost two weeks difference in birthday, 15th and the 27th of November. Uh, where they'll be 25 this year. So those are your number two and number three. I think everyone feels good about those guys, even though Boyd really had his first good year last year in the slot. He was really productive in the slot. I mean, when you look at his metric versus everyone else, he was one of the top slot receivers in the NFL. And, and even when he had to go outside once in a while, he made some plays and had some catches. So I think Boyd definitely overshot what I thought he could do. And it's as the NFL changes. I've talked about the slot receiver can be your number one before. As the NFL has changed, Boyd's really been able to uh, encapsulate how I feel the slot receiver can exploit defenses. And obviously, we've talked about Ross enough. I just wanted to put out there that he's got he's the only guy really. Him and Alex Erickson are only two receivers signed beyond this year and that are really of any value. Yeah. And just to talk about Tyler Boyd's slot productivity amongst players that took a majority of their snaps from the slot. So this is Tyreek Hill, Tyler Boyd, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster, Adam Thielen, Julian Edelman, Emmanuel Sanders, Robert Woods. Those are the top eight. Tyler Boyd's yards per route run is number two in the NFL behind only Tyreek Hill, who is obviously a freak. Uh, fantastic hands in 2018, only dropped a few passes, was very, very productive from the slot, took a huge leap, uh, that, you know, you can only see coming if you're projecting off of the last two weeks of 2017. That's right. And it's funny because he was in the doghouse before those last two weeks, I think even in week three or week four from the ends, what's that week 14 or so, uh, and I'm thinking of 2017, Boyd was actually in a healthy scratch versus the Minnesota Vikings. And it was after that where he really exploded those final two weeks and it really propelled him into the to the next year. And I think a lot of people hoped that would happen for Ross. Instead, we didn't get that. And if anything, he was actually shut down even more when Green and Boyd were out of the out of the lineup. And I, while Green was out, it didn't really affect Boyd. We didn't have a lot of games of that. But And then Boyd quickly followed Green last season and it left Ross on an island. And really that's when I think the need for receiver was shown to all of us in terms of who their fourth, fifth, sixth guys are, the guys that fill out your roster. And last year it was Alex Erickson who signed an extension, Cody Core, Josh Malone, Auden Tate, and really those final three guys. And Erickson because they had to play him on the outside a little bit before the, uh, before Boyd got hurt. Um, those final three guys in Core, Malone, and Tate really were no-shows for most of the year. And you, I don't think we're going into next year counting on any of those three. Even making the roster, you would like to draft guys and bring in competition. Now, if they beat those guys, that's great. But as of right now, I don't think any of us think of, well, they're going to build around Auden Tate or Cody Core or Malone. Well, somebody thinks they're going to build around Auden Tate. I guarantee you that. Of course they do. Uh, talking about building around or bringing in competition – 
The Bengals have picked a wide receiver in the draft every year since 2008, and since 2000, they've only missed drafting a wide receiver in 2002 and 2008. On average, they're picking about one and a half receivers per year, a lot of times in round three. Round three, guys, round two and round three, Jerome Simpson, Andre Caldwell, Chris Henry, Jordan Shipley. They've hit late on guys like Marvin Jones, TJ Hushmanzada. So while they're picking these guys every year, they're occasionally hitting pretty big. This is one position that the Bengals consistently seem to emphasize on offense. They're willing to draft it early. This is the, the, the positions the Bengals draft in the first round are pretty much corner, wide receiver, offensive tackle. Yeah, and you got to think they've got two first-round guys and a second-round guy to round out their top three right now. They have invested, and the next highest drafted is uh, Josh Malone in the fourth round. Cody Core, I want to say, was a sixth. Auden Tate, a seventh. Alex Erickson, an undrafted guy. So that's, that seems pretty average for the back half of your roster. That I would say how it makes up most teams' rosters. Yep. Uh, but I, with drafting one guy in the seventh round last year, I expect them to not only hit free agent or uh, hit the draft at wide receiver, but possibly this is the year they draft two with their eleven picks. Yeah, I think you could easily see them take two. They're they're due. I think they they missed it last year and now we're back on a two receiver year to get to that one and a half average I think and it might not be early depending on how things go if they really like one of the one of the Mississippi guys maybe they really like Akeem Butler and one of them falls and it depends on the contracts negotiations with Green and Boyd up to that point yeah and if 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 those aren't going well maybe they prioritize it a little bit you know second round higher sure and if not, then I do think third, fourth, fifth round, they'll, you'll see their first guy go, and maybe that's where the Keyshawn Johnson thing jumps in, even though I think he may go a little bit later. Uh, and then one of those sixth-round picks or, or maybe their seventh-round pick to round out the back half of the roster. Typically, they like special teams with those guys at the end, even mm-hmm. though Auden Tate was not that guy. Cody Core represents the other side of it. So is James Wright a few years ago. If you remember at LSU, mm-hmm. he was behind Landry and Odell Beckham. He was the third receiver that wasn't used much, uh, but played a lot of special teams in college, and that's why the Bengals liked him. What about Andy Isabella to come return kicks and punts? Did he do that? I'm just assuming he did that. You know, I don't know the stats, but he did uh, do it at senior bowl practices, so I, I assume he's done it. Also, I would say, see, for me, some people don't think, and I, I've talked about this on Twitter a few times, people think Andy Isabella is a slot guy. Some say, no, he actually did his best work on the outside, and I think those are both true. He, he was a former running back, so he runs like a running back. He's a bit squatty, but doesn't break down and get in and out of his cuts well, so he's more of a... T.Y. Hilton type runner where he's smooth and has uh, elongated strides and would probably work on the outside. But the thing is you need to have deep ball skills and you normally like size on the outside to catch those balls. I do think he's a slot guy. I just think he's a developmental slot guy that has high upside. And for me, I think Green, Boyd, and Ross may all three of them do their best work from the slot. And putting them in this Zach Taylor offense where all three receivers have the advantages of slot receivers, I think – you could get great value and production out of this trio already. And that's what make me not want to sign or draft a guy uh, if they can extend Green and Boyd. Yeah. And and you can still dream on Josh Malone, for example. You know, fourth-round guy. We knew that there were going to be a few years of development for him, but his no-show last year is, is a little bit troublesome. It's concerning. Especially after, like, the camp reviews were glowing, right? And then he yep. just didn't do anything. 
Yeah, I went down to camp, and a lot of people were like, watch Josh Malone, and he got hurt that day, actually. Because uh, people said fault. it is. People said, yeah, he's taking a development in his route running. They think he might be Marvin Jones. And I was like, wow, well, that's that's great to hear. And we didn't see it at all. I think I can only think of one target towards him, and it was intercepted and went, kind of bounced off him and the defender against the Panthers. Um, Malone's only 23 years old, and he was young coming out. He – did need development time. I, you know, I was surprised that they expected it to be last year was like, he already took that leap. I thought, man, they really got something here. It's a young guy that's already taken the leap. Uh, I think it, the right expectation should have been year three for him. When you watched him at Tennessee, he was just a vertical deep guy that had good ball skills and good long speed, but really in and out of his routes were needed a lot of development. Sometimes his hands when facing the ball needed a lot of development. So, uh, the, if he, Takes a leap in year three. I don't think we should be surprised. I think there is a chance that out of the backups, out of Core and Tate, I think Malone still has the upside there. So say they extend Green, they extend Boyd. Malone has I don't know. How does Malone even get on the field to break out? Maybe an injury happens, right? And Malone gets on the field for four games, and he has a great four games. Which would again would require the Bengals actually prioritizing him in a game plan to actually get him targets. But let's pretend that happens. Then what do you do with John Ross and Josh Malone going forward? Well, you say you're saying if Malone comes out and plays well, well, how was Ross playing in those? You know, let's say this happens at, at, after four weeks. How was Ross's first four weeks? Is, is did he take a step? Uh, I think we would know in camp how they feel about Ross if he's got a, if he puts in the work and gets to where he needs to be. And then if he starts off okay in the first four weeks, I think it's still his job based on how much they pay him mm-hmm. and the investment they've already put into him. Uh, and everyone's going to have a new offense. So there may be a learning curve for everyone. It may not be fair those first four or even eight weeks to judge them. Uh, we should probably be looking for uh, progressive progression in that time and, and make sure these guys are, are starting to get to where we expect them to be. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting group. Because there there is some potential there. I think mostly with Josh Malone, some Bengals fans would dream on Auden Tate. Morris Boringer also has some crazy athleticism to him, doesn't he? They moved him to tight end, though, last oh, year. Okay. So we'll see if they continue that. The one guy that we we skipped over and really don't talk about but has been productive and honestly been Erickson. a decent player for them, yeah, is Alex Erickson. Yeah. And he's 26 years old. He's still signed for two more years this year and next year. Really, if they don't sign anyone, it's Erickson and, and Ross on the roster. He's got a 1.8 cap hit this year, 1.9 next year. He's a good kick returner, not really an explosive punt returner, and I think they could use an upgrade there. And he's probably getting paid a good chunk of money because of his return ability. But as a backup slot guy, I really like him. And I think he runs good routes, hands good hands, is tough, good concentration concentration through contact. I just think they have misused him at times. Like when Ross went down, they went out there, okay, our, our next best receiver is Erickson. Now he's he's outside wide receiver, it's, and he couldn't do anything. I mean, there was he's getting one catch for two yards in some of these games. It just wasn't his his role. And then when he gets into the slot, he looks serviceable. So I'm concerned with how they used all of their backups, to be honest with you, but that was a Marvin Lewis thing, and this is a, a thread we've kind of hit on a few times with them misusing players under Marvin, so you hope that changes with Taylor. And then them kind of figuring it out in like the last three weeks of the year, like they did with Erickson when he played his yeah. three best games out of the slot against Oakland, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Of course. Exactly. Right. And when you think about 
they didn't know how to get Malone on the field, right? So one of these guys has to be inactive. If these is if this is the same six receivers, they got this is seven actually. I've written down, but if you keep six or even seven, one or two of those guys are going to be inactive. You need guys that can play special teams, and that's why Cody Core keeps getting on the field and keeps running routes and keeps getting the ball thrown to him. Even though I thought he took a step last year, there were still a lot of plays where you're going to bang your head on the on the table because Core is just an unnatural receiver. He's a big, athletic, strong guy, but, man, he can't track the football and he can't run routes. And because of it, he ends up in a lot of weird situations that are in his favor. And when I look at it and I say, well, Malone or Tate, one of them's got to be able to play special teams. And even when they were out there, think about Auden Tate, right? When enough players were hurt, they didn't know how to use Tate and didn't trust Tate. He'd make one mistake and they'd pull him off, similar to John Ross. So we hope there's more of, of teaching and learning and knowing how to use their guys under Taylor. Yeah, and like you said, Cody Court, Alex Erickson both played a ton on special teams. Auden Tate played a little bit on special teams. Josh Malone played a little bit on special teams, but much, much less. I think they were probably pressed into service by injury. Yep. So, yeah, there's some potential with with Core and Malone in particular. I'd like to see Ross get some kick return. Not, now that I think about you mentioning that, he was oh, a good yeah. kick, kick return guy. Now he doesn't have much experience uh, punt returning. He only had a handful, and I think they were trying to practice with him at, at camp doing it. Uh, but you have to be a trustworthy catcher of the ball or when, you, when you're a punt returner. But kick returns, man, we only may ha- have a year or two left before kick returns are absolved in the NFL. And then I'd like to be able to think we used or at least try John Ross in that role. Yeah. I mean, not to slight Erickson. He's been very, very good as a kick returner. But sure. as a punt returner, he's just an average punt returner for the most part. Yep. And the Bengals, if they're trying to find ways to get the ball to – Ross and Giovanni Bernard. I think getting them used to being punt returners would be a good way to do so. Yeah. So that's that's a wide receiver position. It's a relative position of strength for the Bengals. It's a position where there is a little bit of uncertainty about the future. There are some questions about John Ross, Cody Core, Josh Malone taking steps. There's questions about whether AJ or Tyler Boyd will be extended. And then based on all of those factors, based on how the coaching staff feels about these guys, it's a time to draft a guy in the second round, maybe third round, to get some competition in there, maybe secure the position a little bit for the future. And there is a lot of depth. There's a lot of interesting guys in this draft class. We've talked about a lot of them on Mock Draft Mondays, and we'll talk about them more in the future. We drafted one yesterday. Go check that out, like Joe said. I think that's a pretty good summary of the wide receiver position. No, I agree. And it can can continue to be a strength of the team, and I want it to be in Zach Taylor's offense and to help Andy Dalton or the next quarterback down the line. So uh, people have brought up lately, how often do you uh, actually see a top receiver win a Super Bowl for a team? And I think it's kind of backwards thinking because we just saw a player win Super Bowl MVP in Julian Edelman. I don't think it requires... Uh, a player to be an A.J. Green or a Julio Jones or whoever you think is at the top. But I do think good wide receiver play is very important. I think it's kind of random because we t- typically see great quarterbacks win the Super Bowl. And w- when doing so, they usually have lesser talents at receiver. I'm thinking of Tom Brady, obviously. But the Patriots went 17-0 and with Randy Moss and almost won that Super Bowl. It's not crazy to think that building this area and keeping it a strength of the roster is a bad thing. Uh, 
or it's crazy to think that's a bad thing. It's in my mind, it's a positive, especially if we want to make Andy Dalton the best version of himself. Yeah, especially with a quarterback in Cincinnati right now. And if that's your goal, and some Bengals fans, that's the goal is win around Andy Dalton. You you need to build around him for sure. The other point I wanted to make is even if the the wide receiver doesn't make a huge impact in the Super Bowl or you know the the elite guy isn't there like you said sometimes it's a Julian Edelman or a David Tyree that makes a game-changing play the wide receivers right. are still important right but even if that receiver gets taken out of the game they're still affecting they're they're affecting the game even if they're not doing it directly with the ball in their hands like 100 uh, uh, tight end Rob Gronkowski for the Patriots even when he's not catching the ball and I know he's a tight end so it's a little bit different but even when he's not catching the ball the defense is scheming around it and, and elite receivers force you to do that you can see the impact of when AJ Green is on the field and when oh, he's yeah. not just based on the tilt of the defense when I say the tilt let's say uh, you've got one deep free safety that guy's going to shade towards AJ Green most of the time. Whenever I watch film, it's the first thing I notice and first thing I look for. Because when I go back two years ago when Boyd wasn't playing well and it was LaFell on the other side and LaFell is who he is, the defenses were not scared of those guys, especially when Tyler Eifert was off the field. That safety was shaded so far to AJ Green's side and said, let these other two guys beat us because we don't think they can. It's why John Ross was drafted. Because I've seen some people make the claim that uh, they didn't need a receiver that year. I, I would say, yes, they do. And they still need John Ross. If you take John Ross off this field, that safety is still going to slant towards A.J. Green. Now, we feel more comfortable with Boyd making those plays and filling into that position and becoming a, a reliable target. But having two speed guys or two guys that can get deep on the outside opens it up completely. Think of even before when it was Chad Johnson, Chris Henry, and T.J. Hushmanzada. Chris Henry was vital to those other guys getting open. We talked about pass rushers. Having two good ones is great, but that third guy unlocks those first two. I think the same is true at receiver. Yeah. So it's good that there's depth there. It's interesting that there's questions there, and I think it's a position to watch for the future for the Bengals just because of the way that they do build around that position. Agree. That's been the wide receiver position review, Bengals fans. Tomorrow we're on quarterbacks and running backs. Unless something crazy happens. I vote for crazy. Crazy would certainly be fun. Whatever the case may be, we hope you're here with us again tomorrow, Bengals fans. That's been the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 